Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex from BTN.com, and this is another football-focused edition of this podcast. Tom Deanhart and myself will break down college football with a national guest for the next hour or so and use that national guest's wisdom to help put the Big Ten in perspective. This week our guest is Stuart Mandel. He's the editor-in-chief of The All-American, which is the college football site for the still relatively new sports journalism venture called The Athletic, and I'm sure most of you know about The Athletic. If you're uh, sports fans, have been in the news a lot lately for their, their hires and their work. But Stuart, um, who is a very accomplished writer himself and the editor-in-chief of The All-American, describes what he's got going on over there before we get to some juicy college football talk and do what we always do on this show. And after we wrapped up with Stu, I sat down with BTN researcher Harold Shelton for our weekly Stathead segment, which is always a lot of fun. And I am battling a mild cold, so forgive me if I... Uh, snuck some sniffles onto the podcast and on the audio. Just bear with me. And before we get into this week's guests, I want to remind you of two things. First, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and rate and leave a review if you like the show. And also, I just want to let you know about the BTN store on btn.com, where you can get 10% off by using the coupon code TAKE10. That's T-A-K-E-1-0. And you apply that in your shopping cart where it prompts you for the coupon code once you've picked out one of the many desirable products on that website. And in that cart, you have uh, all the hottest gear from your school. And we're not talking gas station swag here, folks. This is legit Nike, Jordan, Under Armour, Adidas gear. It's all there if you want it. And uh, other team-oriented merchandise if you want to deck out your den or your dorm as well. So... Once again, you hit the shop tab on btn.com if you're on your desktop. If you're on your phone, just scroll to the bottom of the btn.com page and click the btn store tab and use that take 10 coupon code for 10% off your order. And now let's get to our football focused discussion with Stuart Mandel. I'm very pleased to be joined this morning, not only by Tom Deanhart, who is calling in from his home near St. Louis, but also by a national guest, as always, as we always have on these football-focused podcasts. He is the editor-in-chief of The All-American, which is the college football arm of The Athletic. It's Stuart Mandel. Stuart, thanks for joining us. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing great. Doing good. Doing good, buddy. Doing great. Excited to talk some college football. Um, first off, Stuart also co-hosts the Audible podcast uh, with another guest we've had on this show. That's Bruce Feldman. So... Be sure to check that out after you've uh, subscribed to his coverage at, at The Athletic and at The All-American. You can follow him on Twitter, at SL Mandel. Stu, you live out in the uh, the Bay Area, right? I do, out here on uh, on the West Coast, where the games don't start till sometimes 11 Eastern. Yeah, the Pac-12 after dark, and that's caused some contention, as we've seen uh, in the news with Chris Peterson lately, but uh, is everything okay out there right now where you're at in regards to all the uh, the wildfires we're seeing on the news? So the wildfires are pretty uh, far from where I live, but um, they're, you know, this is an awful story out here. You know, it just kind of happened out of nowhere. Um, I think the last I saw, 100 homes have been destroyed. You know, obviously, if you live in California, you probably, so in this part of California, you've gone up to Sonoma and to wine country at some point for, an outing or a vacation or whatnot. So, um, you know, it's, it's really troubling. But, no, in terms of my, myself, I'm down near uh, San Jose, which is uh, about an hour and a half south of there. 
yeah, obviously, uh, only hope those can be contained and, and brought out control because of the, the images we're seeing on on the news look uh, pretty devastating. Um, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, Stuart, yeah, talk, talk a little bit about um, you know the new the new venture you guys are, are sort of heading up out there. Talk about the genesis of it and and uh, maybe the niche you think you guys can fill. Right. So obviously, you've seen you know a lot of the national sites. Um, cut back on journalism, on written journalism. In my case, you know, FoxSports.com, my former employer, replaced the written content entirely with video. Um, the athletic uh, company here in San Francisco saw this as an opportunity because we know uh, that that readers still want that content. They want to read in-depth coverage of their favorite sports and their favorite teams. Uh, so the athletic started these subscription sites, uh, started in local markets, and hired me as editor-in-chief to launch our national college football site. It went up August 28th, the first week of the season, so uh, we've been up for about six weeks. Uh, you know, the initial response has been great. Uh, we've got a team of, um, you know, besides myself, a team of six writers from around the country. Nicole Auerbach uh, is, I know, a Big Ten Network contributor. She's uh, formerly of USA Today. She's on her staff, uh, as well as people who've written for places like ESPN.com and SEC Country. Um, it's uh, $3.99 a month right now, and you get uh, national coverage of college football, and most importantly, the thing that people seem most pleased about, no ads, no autoplay videos, uh, no surveys to read the rest of the article. Uh, because of the subscriber fee, we don't have to do any of those things. Yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, a lot of good stuff. You mentioned Nicole. You have a lot of other talented and recognizable names on board, so we definitely encourage everyone. Got Fopolini. Fopolini as well. Fopolini right there. Who is uh yeah maybe the 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 biggest name on the on the uh, lineup you got Popolini? So I'm not kidding. He's the most popular writer on the whole site, Uh, and he writes a weekly advice column, not just about football. Any life questions you have, you send them to Popolini. He answers them every Friday. (laughs) Definitely have to check that out. And uh, yeah, encourage everyone to check out the All American and, and subscribe. Um. Before we talk about what we saw this past week and um, move on to some of the uh, on-field action, I did want to touch on a topic that, for whatever reason, we didn't get to on last week's podcast, and that's that's the passing of former Purdue football coach Joe Tiller. Joe is obviously adored by Purdue fans and, and widely regarded as the best football coach in Boilermakers history. So, Tom, as a Purdue guy yourself, and you, you wrote a fantastic tribute piece to Joe, who you knew well over the years. If you could kind of sum up those thoughts on here for those who didn't get to read it, what did Joe Tiller mean to you and uh, to the entire Purdue community? Yeah, you know, um, I've said how often does a guy not only change the school but also change the conference, and, and Joe Tiller was able to do those two things at Purdue from 1997 to 2008 with that, you know, quote-unquote basketball on grass offense. Um, uh, of course, uh able to take Purdue to the Rose Bowl in the 2000 season. You know what, guys? Not only was he successful on the field, but I think what endeared him as much to, as anything that the people, writers, media, fans, it was just his personality. Um, he had fun along the way while doing it. Never took himself too serious. You know, Stuart, you were at some Big Ten media days when he was there. You knew how affable Tiller was, how approachable he was. Always good for a quote. And like I said, never took himself too serious. So, it was, it was difficult to see him pass. It's still not that old of an age. And, um, again, the impact he had on Purdue, on the Big Ten, and many other coaches, I think it's just pretty far-reaching. 
Yeah, Stuart, if you kind of add to Tom's remarks there, just what made Joe Taylor special and uh, where does he fit, I guess, in the larger scope in college football coaching history? Well, I agree with everything Tom said. Um, I, I covered him many times. I, uh, my career began around the same time he was uh, starting at Purdue. So, you know, many times over the years I would call him for a story, particularly um, as spread offenses became more and more prevalent. And I would do stories about you know, the changes to the sport. You know, you'd always want to call him, and, and he was obviously at the front of that trend. Um you know, he, he definitely, like Tom said, uh, transformed a conference, a conference that let's, uh, you know, let's be honest. I mean, part of the Big Ten's identity for, for really for decades was three yards in a cloud of dust. And here comes a guy who's going to play basketball on grass, is going to throw the ball. Uh, at one point, you know, Drew Brees threw, threw the ball 85 times in a game and see a record at the time. Um, just, just, it was just a completely foreign concept. And as, as a result, they were able to catch the Big Ten uh, off guard. He was able to get some wins early on against the Michigans uh, of the conference and obviously go to Rose Bowl. So, you know, just a, a transformative effect on that program. And obviously, they have not come close to replicating that yet, though that's one reason why I was very, very high on the Jeff Brown hire. And so far, this early stages, it's looking good. Um, same formula. You know, Jeff Brown, very. Uh, ahead of the curve in the new wave of offensive innovators. You're seeing that effect already there. Um, I think that's what you have to do at a school like Purdue where you're not going to out-recruit the top programs in the conference. You've got to do something a little bit different to uh, distinguish yourself. And that's exactly what Tiller did. Yeah, well said, guys. And, and although I'm not really old enough to remember teams or Tiller's teams at Purdue, um, I mean, his impact was apparent and obvious in the highlights we see and especially in the tributes we saw in the past couple of weeks. Uh, How old are you? 20, what are you, 22? 20, <laughs> 23, 23. You don't want to know, Stuart. You don't yeah. want to know, Stuart. Yeah, I actually, I did I go mean, to. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I did go to one, uh, one Illinois at Purdue game, and this was back in the glory days. I think Taylor still would have been the coach. And both teams were ranked, I think, in the top 15. And it was the year Illinois won the Big Ten in 2001. So that's, I mean, <laughs> obviously that it tells you um, – how different things are today with when those two teams were in a top 15 battle. So, um, yeah, I mean, Tiller's impact has been apparent with the tributes we saw, you know, the outpouring of support, obviously, from, from Purdue fans. So that was cool to see, as unfortunate as his uh, passing was. Um, moving on, though, to, to what we saw on the field this past weekend, we always get initial impressions starting off this, this podcast, a quick synopsis of what we saw. So, Tom... We'll lead off with you. Just give me some quick thoughts on uh, what you saw from the Big Ten this past weekend. You know, you got to start with Michigan State, I think. Uh, we're 4-1 now. Uh, nobody knew quite what to expect from the Spartans coming off that 3-9 and debacle of 2016. Um, you know what? So far, so good, guys. Um, they look like they are back. Uh, that loss to Notre Dame, not so bad. That's a very good fighting Irish team. And again, last weekend, to go into the big house, to win 14 to 10 under those circumstances was awfully impressive. Again, that defense of D'Antonio is very good. The offense, I think, still has a lot to lot to show. But again, they're going to be a tough out in the Big Ten East. And also Wisconsin guys, um, is this really maybe the best team in the Big Ten? I know maybe that's an overstatement, but I really love Paul Chris squad. Uh, dominant from game one up to last weekend in Nebraska when they really took care of the Cornhuskers. Uh, 
it's going to be fun to see uh, if the Badgers can run the table this year. they got some tough games left. But, again, uh, Michigan State and Wisconsin really caught my eye last weekend. Yeah, the Badgers keep rolling. Um, Stu, we'll open it up to a national scope for you. Just a quick synopsis of what you uh, saw, what stood out to you this past weekend. Well, obviously, the story nationally was uh, Iowa State taking down Oklahoma in Norman. Just a, an enormous upset, first time that program had ever uh, beaten a top-five team on the road. And uh, I was able to speak to Matt Campbell the next day. I mean, it's a it's a great story in terms of Iowa State and doing it with um, basically with the third string quarterback starting most of the game, and then Joel Lang, a guy who used to be a quarterback who was a linebacker, playing both ways in that game. It's just a phenomenal story. But in terms of the impact that it has nationally, you know, uh, Oklahoma going on the road and beating Ohio State early in the season is really, and I think still is the best non-conference when anybody posted and the kind of win that, that is going to come in handy uh, if you're in contention for the for the playoff spot at the end. But now in the last couple games, uh, Oklahoma has not looked like a playoff contender. The week before, or two weeks before, they had a bye week in between, two weeks before, a uh, shootout against a Baylor team that is now 0-5. So, you know, I think everybody is always a little bit skeptical now at this point about the Big 12, where they actually going to send the team to the playoff this time. And they are now uh, the only one of the power conferences that is down to only one undefeated team at TCU. Yeah, and you mentioned Joel Lanning uh, was quarterback last year before being asked to switch to linebacker. Accounted for 60 yards under center Saturday, and then on the other side of the ball at eight tackles, a sack, and a fumble recovery. I, like, that's that's crazy to me. I mean, can you, Stu, can you ever remember a player like this? Like, it's like a high school story almost, like with the versatility and kind of the uh, the legend of it. So have you heard of a player doing this at, at that level and uh, that well, scale? You know, we've had we've had some, some pretty prominent defensive players in recent years who saw time on the other side of the ball, whether it's Drew Peppers or Miles Jack sure. or uh, Jack Thompson at Washington, but in none of those situations was the guy playing quarterback. Uh, obviously, a lot, of, a lot of responsibility that comes with that position. I know he, he mostly ran the ball, but obviously had to make decisions pre-snap and, and, and read defenses, and there's just so much involved in that, and it's not like he had been practicing at that position. They only knew, um, uh, only found out, I think, about midway through last week that their starter um, was going to be taking a medical leave from the team. So not a lot of time to prepare for that role and, you know, played very well. That offense, uh, frankly, just Oklahoma had no answer for it over about the last three quarters of the game. Iowa State, I think, probably overlooked a little bit. You know, they took Iowa to overtime. They uh, had a respectable loss to Texas, but, you know, I don't think anybody saw saw it quite this time. Yeah, guys, so, you know, we saw Neil Brown of of Troy last week really raise his profile with that one at LSU. How about Matt Campbell, Stewart, um, former Toledo coach? Uh, You know, they should have beaten Iowa. And uh, you talked about the close call of Texas, and of course last week that that miraculous win in Norman. You know, Matt Campbell's profile is going to continue to rise. A young coach with a bright future. Yeah, Matt Campbell. At the time that he took the Iowa State job, people, myself included, were surprised that that's the job he ended up taking. You know, he he figured to be a hot commodity, and then would have his choice of some jobs. And Iowa State's a really hard place to win. Uh, they haven't won. Um, more than seven games in a season since 2000. So, but but you know, I do think he's a good fit there, and 
And since uh, undeterred by that program's past uh, issues, you know, he's a guy. It's interesting, you know, not everybody that, that knows football knows Mount Union is the uh, powerhouse of Division Three. You know, unlike probably any program at any other level, the way they dominated at that level, and, and they produced Matt Campbell um, and his understudy also from Mount Union, Jason Campbell, is now the uh, head coach of Toledo. We actually have Chantel Jennings, one of our writers, actually went there and did a big profile on him and it's up on the All-American today. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Oklahoma, Iowa State, like you said, Stu was obviously the big story nationally, uh, but as Tom mentioned, Biggest story out of the Big Ten was Michigan State-Michigan, so we'll expand on that game a little bit. Tom, uh, it was a weird game with the weather, and, and we knew Michigan State would get up for it, being a rivalry game. But what does this do for your perception of, of Michigan and their trajectory this season? Because on one hand, you can make the argument that Michigan is playing super young on defense, that a lot of their key cogs on offense are underclassmen and on defense, and, and this is just like maybe a transition year for them coming in. But, you know, they kind of elevated expectations, looking really good up until uh, Saturday, and I feel like expectations are going to be high under Harbaugh no matter what, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on uh, what this does to their trajectory this season, Tom. Well, that was a game Michigan had to win, guys. Uh, I don't think that's, a, that's saying that, that much or an overstatement. you got to win at home against the Michigan State team that's still finding its way coming off a 3-9 and nine season. And plus, it's a Spartan squad that's had your number for over a decade now. You know, D'Antonio's 8-3 and three versus... Michigan. So, again, uh, if you're in Michigan, you got to take care of business against the Spartans at home. Uh, you know, it's going to be another year, I think, guys. Michigan's not going to win the Big Ten title. You have to go back to 2004, the last time the Wolverines won the Big Ten championship, back when Lloyd Carr was the coach. Uh, still a lot of tough games left, fellas. They have to go, obviously, to Penn State. And you got the game uh, at Wisconsin, too. And, of course, you have the game against Ohio State. So uh, maybe this is a three-loss team, and uh, that's year three of the Jim Harbaugh era, and he hasn't finished higher than third in his own division. So I always say too much is given, much is expected. And uh, I know that team is young, but you know what, guys? Every team's got a lot of young players. Every team deals with injuries. Um, I'm not buying any of that as an excuse. And uh, it's, the offense in particular has been a flat-out disappointment the last two years, especially up front, guys. That offensive line. For two years in a row, is really struggling when it comes to big games. Yeah, Stu, we know uh, Wilton Spate will be an option for a while with injury. Uh, John O'Corn had a bad night against the Spartans. So do you give Brandon Peters, the uh, highly regarded redshirt freshman quarterback, a look under center? Doesn't seem like that's in the in the plans right now. You know, Jim Harbaugh, um, yeah, I, I think Jim Harbaugh has been eager for somebody to, I mean, I think he was eager first for, O'Corn to possibly beat out Wilton Spate. I never got the impression that he was 100% confident in Wilton Spate. And, uh, you know, there's a reason O'Corn has been on the bench this long. I'm sure he'd want uh, one of the younger players to beat them out, but it doesn't sound like that's, that's happening anytime soon. You know, I, I don't think they should be hitting the panic button there. Um, this is a team that, like Tom said, you know, they lost 18 starters. Probably that's about the highest I've ever heard of. And I expected them to be about a 9-3 team. Uh, you know, and you build toward next season when it'll be a much more experienced team. But, you know, the problem is that one of those three was to their arch rival who, you know, Michigan fans feel like they should be better than. You know, Ohio State, they know that that's going to be a tough one every year. Michigan State, they, you know, you go back to the infamous Mike Hart 
uh, little brother comment. And so Michigan State has won eight or ten in that series now. And, you know, I think this is the one that Michigan State, you know, say what you want about a young Michigan team. Michigan State's coming out three and nine. They lost by 20 to Notre Dame. I do think they're better than they were last season. I don't think, you know, it, it, realistically, I don't think they're a top 25 caliber team, though they moved into the rankings this week. So this is the one, you know, he's one and four now against those two teams, those two rivals. But this is really the first one where you say, they really should have won that game. You know, the others were, were against highly ranked teams. This one uh, is really the first, uh, really the first loss of any kind he's had there where you feel like, yeah, that's that's an excuse. That shouldn't happen. Yeah, fair or not, the narrative now kind of be informed is you know Harbaugh can't beat his rivals, and it, and it bears out with that one and four record. Guys, how about the uh, the sideline spill that John O'Corn took uh, when the rain was really coming down? Like, is there is there any chance that that was not a flop? Like, was there any chance that someone yanked him down, or was that totally acting? I just don't know, the, but with the way he fell. So so suddenly and so abruptly, I, I, to me, it, it looked like he had to get tugged. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it, it's yet another sort of layered ad to an already intense rivalry. So I guess my opinion is, um, boy, if that was a slip, it was awful funny-looking slip. Uh, I, I still tend to think maybe, maybe somebody yanked his shirt and, and, and caused him to fall. Yeah, what do you think, Stu? It looked like a great, you know, it looked like he's ready to, to, to suit up for either an NBA team or soccer, <laughs> you know, he, he looked like he's practiced a flop before. I, you know, I've watched the replay a couple of times. He, 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 yeah, somebody pulled at his jersey, but not immediately. There's a, there's a nice, there's a long enough delay there where it sure looked like he decided to take advantage of the situation. Yeah. Like that's a, <laughs> that's a type of reaction and a movement that I don't think I'd be able to do if I didn't practice it. So if it was a flop, that's something that he has clearly worked on. Cause it was a uh, very convincing, you know, recoil backwards. It, it was bizarre. Um, moving on, though, to a couple of other uh, Big Tens, most talked about teams. We saw two of the Big Tens unbeatens go on the road and, and really barely break a sweat, and that's Penn State and Wisconsin. Uh, Penn State rolled 31-7 at Northwestern. Wisconsin took a few punches under the lights at Nebraska, but uh, they did what they've done consistently all season. That's turning on in the second half. They pulled away for a 38-17 win. Tom, you mentioned it earlier. You pondered on Twitter after the game and got some blowback for it. After being so high in Penn State all year, and there's no reason to be uh, any lower on them, but uh, you pondered that Wisconsin might actually be the best team in the Big Ten. So, you know, even though it's all conjecture, it doesn't really matter at this point because this debate could very well be settled in Indy in December like it was last year. But do you stand by that, Tom? Do you, are you leaning toward Wisconsin as the best team in the Big Ten? You know, possibly, guys. I tell you what, defensively, look at the defenses for Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Penn State. And uh, Penn State's defense has been out of sight. We know Ohio State's defense is good, too. I, I think Wisconsin's can match up with both of those defenses. So, say the defenses across those three teams, say it's a wash. Now look at the offenses. And uh, I tell you what, guys, Penn State's offense, to me, is, has really shown some concerns when it comes to running the football. I know everybody's stacking the box to try to shut down Saquon Barker. But you know what, guys? I remember back in the day, everybody was trying to stop Herschel Walker and George Rogers. All the great running backs, you know what they still did? They still got all their yards. Um, so, again, I guess I'm still a little bit worried about the Penn State offense, Ohio State's offense. You know, they, they've taken care of business against some overmatched teams the last month. We'll find out a lot more here coming up about that offense. And then there's the Wisconsin offense, guys. 
uh, unmatched running game. Uh, I know Saquon Barkley and Penn State, but again, that Wisconsin running game is outstanding. I think their line is better than Penn State's. Then you got the quarterback in Alex Hornerbrook, and uh, he's still a work in progress, but you know what, guys? He's getting better and better each week. So uh, I tell you what, there's a lot to like about the Badgers right now. And, uh, again, uh, I don't think it's uh, too much of an overstatement thing. Maybe they are the best team. I'd love to know what Stewart thinks. Yeah, Stu, I was going to kind of package that question in uh, on a national level. Which of those teams you look at, and maybe it's both, but, but which out of Penn State and Wisconsin do you look at and say, yeah, you know, they could hang with an Alabama or Clemson if they were to uh, meet up down the road in, in the playoff? I, I do like Wisconsin, but it's hard for me to say that. They just haven't played that level of competition so far to truly know how they stack up nationally. You know, they haven't had... Um, they haven't had that that game, you know. And Penn State hasn't necessarily played a that highly ranked team either. But uh, you know, in general, you know they 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 made a statement when they went to Iowa and won that game in the way they did. You know, Wisconsin hasn't had that chance, and Wisconsin won't have that chance for a while. You know, Penn State will play these back to back games against Michigan and Ohio State, and you'll know by the end of those if this is a playoff caliber team. Wisconsin, we may not get those kind of answers till very late in the season, so. Uh, you know, I'm very high on Penn State right now. Uh, I think the team that is is the wild card is Ohio State because uh, people want to dismiss them after the Oklahoma game. People want to bench J.T. Barrett. All they've done so far is clobber everybody they've played since then. But, again, just like Wisconsin, that doesn't really prove anything to us. I don't even think this game in Nebraska this week will, will tell us much. They're a 24-point favorite. You know, Ohio State's still the most talented team. They're still the team to answer your question, who could hang with the Alabamas, they would be the one just based on, on talent alone um, that we won't really know until they uh, get their chance at revenge against Penn State on the 28th. Yeah, expanding on Ohio State a little bit, I mean, like you mentioned, JT Barrett's finding that rhythm, spreading it around to Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell, and that talented receiving core, and Mike Weber now is looking healthier as uh, J.K. Dobbins, uh, the, other fr- the other back, the freshman, continues to impress. You know, I asked this of... Uh, Phil Steele last week, and I'd like to, to get your opinion on it. They've had a lot of uh, lighter opponents on the schedule ever since that Oklahoma loss, and they've looked really good and rolled in doing so. Do you think that's the best path to you know, kind of getting their groove back and getting their confidence back to a level where, where they can beat you know, the top teams in the Big Ten and, and show up in a college football playoff? Or do you think it's giving them kind of a false sense of security Stu playing these, uh, you know, teams that are not nearly on their level. I mean, it's it's very similar to the path that the uh, twenty fourteen team took. They lost that early game at home to Virginia Tech, uh, and, and frankly, Virginia Tech that year turned out to be pretty mediocre, uh, much more so than I think Oklahoma would be. And then they fell off the radar and they played these kind of games. And then we didn't really see them play a big game again until. Um, Michigan State, I think that might have been early, late October, early November on the road, and you saw a much, much, much improved offense. So, um, you know, I think this is, frankly, the way Urban Meyer would prefer it, uh, to fine-tune things and, and, and be ready for the second-half stretch of the season. They will play enough uh, ranked teams down the stretch that, you know, I don't, I don't think it would um, keep them from getting into the playoff with one loss. Absolutely, yeah. They're starting to look scary, and... and... It's going to be fun to see uh, some of these heavier matchups as we move along. Um, shifting gears a little bit, there's a segment we do every week called uh, Whose Stock is Sliding and Whose is Soaring. And we'll start with Tom and have him give us 
couple of Big Ten teams, um, one who's is soaring and one whose stock is sliding. So, Tom, lead it off. Who is, uh, who's soaring in the Big Ten right now? You know, um, I guess we, we've talked a lot about Michigan State. I, I guess I have to go with the Spartans, even though they, they aren't unbeaten. But, again, um, that, that, that big win on the road last week uh, really answered the bell. And, uh, again, they, they cracked the top 25 this week. So I have to say they're soaring. I guess from a, from a declining standpoint, you could go a couple ways. Um, but, Stuart, I might have to go with, with your Northwestern Wildcats, buddy. Um, you, you heard the narrative before the year. Everybody thought maybe the Wildcats were going to be a dark horse in the Big Ten West. Um, that certainly hasn't turned out to be the case, beginning with that ugly loss at Duke, and it's continued into the Big Ten season in particular. Um, you know what, offensively, guys, that, that line for Northwestern, it, it, it's abysmal. The numbers for Justin Jackson are plummeting. He's having a bad senior year. Clayton Thorson, to me, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if he's gotten any better. So, uh, for me, the Wildcats are a team that are going from a potential dark horse to a team that may struggle to make a bowl game. Yeah, Stuart, did you expect these struggles out of uh, Northwestern this year? Uh, I, not Maybe not to this extent, but I definitely uh, took notice when actually when Dave Repson came on our podcast, Audible, uh, I think before week one, and we wanted to have him on, we, we do it most years to get on because he's been on that tour at that point and seen all the Big Ten schools. And Tom, you, I believe you have as well, right? You go along with them? Yeah, um, yeah Ben Alex and I both went I, this year, yep. Okay, so I just made like a lighthearted comment, like, you know, uh, are they going to win the division this year? Are they going to go to Indianapolis? And, and Dave immediately said, oh, no, that offensive line, that's going to be a problem. And that's exactly how it's played out. Um, you know, I think Justin Jackson regressing, Clayton Thorson regressing is all tied to that offensive line. And, and also something that, you know, Tate Greenstein wrote this week and Northwestern fans have felt for a while that offense has just been very stale for many years and Fitz has just remained very loyal to the staff, I think. Um, Austin Carr was a revelation last season and maybe uh, helped mask some of their issues, but, you know, it just they aren't innovative at all in any way on offense. Yeah, this is a recent uh, thing that Northwestern fans have been able to say, but at least you got basketball season to look forward to, Stu. <laughs> basketball now. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a basketball that's school. Something that, that's, that's something Stuart never uttered. <laughs> nope, nope, but, uh, you know, Brian McIntosh and those guys, they're all back, you know, preseason top 25, so, uh, you know, yes, I think they've already turned their attention to that. <laughs> all right, Stuart, how about it? Uh, we'll open up the stock sliding and soaring to a national level. Uh, who do you got? Give me one team for each. For stock soaring, I'm going to go with Washington State. Mike Leach's team is now 6-0, and uh, which is uh, very rare. Um, benchmark for that program historically, and I don't think it's fluky. You know, I think that the win over USC the other night or last week, and then uh, going on the road and beating Oregon, you're seeing that uh, a Mike Leach team, which is generally only known for passing the ball a lot, uh, can play defense. They're playing with defense at a high level, um, much more so than than frankly any Mike Leach team I can remember. A lot of credit to their DC Alex Grinch, and uh, you know it's looking more and more like that. Confer- that division, if not the conference, could come down to uh, the Apple Cup at the end of the season. Washington's undefeated as well, um, but they haven't had the, the chance to, to beat a team like USC. Um, for stock falling, i got to go with Florida State. They're now 1-3 in three for the first time since Bobby Bowden's first season way back in mm-hmm. 1976. And 
just a really, um, you know, unfortunate situation where DeAndre Francois, their quarterback, got hurt at the end of the Alabama game, and there just wasn't a, a good backup ready. They've had a couple classes in a row where the quarterback signee ended up either getting kicked off the team or leaving the program, and they had to turn to a true freshman, James Blackman, who's just not ready. It's not that alone, you know, they're having offensive line issues, receiver issues, but, um, you know, it's just everybody's really down there. Uh, and they almost beat Miami, you know, came down to the last second. But after losing to their rival, they're now 1-3 and three and just really unfamiliar territory for that program. Yeah, the Cougs have been a uh, – Wazoo have been a weekly feature on this podcast. I wouldn't have expected that heading into the season, but uh, they continue to open eyes. Um, we're going to move on now to a – segment where we take questions from the fans and uh pose them to our national writer so we got a couple for you this week Stuart. um the first one is from at matthew john 22 he asks will uh will michigan state be seven and one heading into the penn state game and their next three games are at minnesota versus indiana and at your alma mater northwestern so you think uh you think michigan state's gonna roll through those three I'm going to say they go two for three in those games. I, I'm not necessarily saying this is the one they'll win and this is the one they'll lose. I, I think they still have a, you know, kind of a slim margin for error. They're, um, what, what did I see? They're like 106th in the country in scoring offense. It, you know, it, it's it's not all that different than a typical Mark D'Antonio uh, formula. They're going to be really conservative on offense and take care of the ball and play good defense, but. You know, I don't know. I haven't really shaken the image of that Notre Dame loss from my head. I do think Notre Dame is very good, uh, but that was, you know, a very one-sided uh, contest. So uh, I think they can end up having a pretty good record and a pretty good season. Uh, but I think they'll have a couple more slip-ups here in the near future. All right, fair enough. Uh, one more question. This is from at Pete Helland. He asks, what did you see in Purdue before the season that earned them a spot in your preseason bowl prediction? He points out that you were the only national guy that did so. <laughs> Even Purdue fans and Purdue beat writers were stunned that I had them in there. Um, <laughs> just faith, faith in Jeff Brom. I, I thought, if you go back to January, I do my annual Calmar grade, the coaching hires nationally. Uh, Purdue's the only one I gave an A-plus to. And by the way, Western Kentucky, his old team, even though they have the same quarterback back, is really struggling. They scored 15 points yeah. the other night. Uh, you know, it's just the magnitude of Brom. He's had that impact already, obviously, at Purdue. I, you know, I don't have their schedule right in front of me, but I remember looking at it and thinking they could get to six wins. Part of that was I knew Missouri was going to be really bad and that they could they could handle that game. So um, he just, to me, he, I thought he would come in. The roster is well set up for it, too, to come in and have that impact. Have they uh, exceeded your expectations even? Like, I know, I mean, you're obviously high in them, but have they gone above and beyond what you expected? Yeah, I mean, they... they um, I remember first week, I think I had Louisville. I don't remember what the spread was, but I said, lock it up. You know, it was like Louisville by 24 or something. Lock that up. They're going to crush them. And obviously that was a much more uh, hard-fought game than you would have expected. Ohio is a decent team. They beat them 44-21, just destroyed Missouri on the road. So, uh, and, and I think the Minnesota win's a good win, too. So, you know, at this point, you got to raise your the, raise the bar a little bit. I think they can do better than 6-6 six and six by the time it's done. Yeah, Tom was at the uh, yeah, the game yeah. this past weekend. Yeah, yeah, I tell you what, you know, still you to the schedule, and if you peek ahead, it's not crazy to think they'd win seven games, maybe eight. Um, 
they were this weekend they're not going to win. They're at Wisconsin. But after that, um, you know, they've got a uh, home game against, or they got they go to Rutgers, then they play Nebraska and Illinois at home. And they go to Iowa and Northwestern, and they finish with Indiana. So you, you can you can figure it out. Uh, but, again, it's not crazy to think they could, they could get to six and maybe even bump it up one or two inches beyond that if they can keep things together. Yeah, and uh, we'll continue to look ahead here. We'll look ahead now and break down what awaits in week seven. Tom, we'll start with you, and we'll keep it in conference. Which games intrigue you as we head to uh, to week seven here? You know, Stewart talked a little bit about Ohio State's game in Nebraska. You know, from, from name brand appeal, it sure looks like a great game, but we all are familiar with the issues that are dogging Nebraska this year. Uh, looks like maybe they had gotten back uh, back on track after they beat, what, Rutgers in Illinois. But, again, uh, we saw the wheels come off against the quality opponent last week under the lights of Memorial Stadium. Now here come the Buckeyes. So, But still, um, you know, Nebraska's back was against the wall already. It certainly is now. So maybe, you know, a cornered animal can be awfully dangerous. So who knows? I still think that's going to be a game very much uh, very much worth keeping an eye on this weekend. So that's one I talked about, Purdue, Wisconsin. Um, you know, we talked about the Boilermakers a lot. Um, but, again, the Badgers have won 11 in a row against those guys. And, and boy, they can get so physical with you. It's going to be difficult for, for Purdue to come out of Madison with the win there. As an average since 2003, so you know those are a couple guys. And you know what? One other one that intrigues me. How about Michigan at Indiana, guys? Um, I tell you what, uh, my crazy or what? But the Hoosiers have a chance to win this thing. Um, Hoosiers got a pretty good defense, and offensively they have a new quarterback, Peyton Ramsey. He got his first start last week. It's only Charleston Southern, but he's what Tom Allen wants under center. He's athletic. He's a nice passer as well. they got some really good wide receivers. We know about Michigan's struggles on offense. I guess my point is if Indiana can get on top, make John O'Corn try to throw the football, I think things get very tough for Michigan. And, again, look at the recent history. When these teams have played in Bloomington, the Hoosiers have come awfully close to beating in the last few times, and I wouldn't be shocked if they had to pull the stunner this week. Yeah, it'll be interesting to follow. I mean, we saw Ohio State week one go in and uh, struggle for a little bit. How about Maryland and uh, and Northwestern? I mean, Maryland, we knew coming into the season, their schedule will be brutal. And if they want to get to a bowl, this week will go a long way toward accomplishing that goal. It would kind of wipe away that ugly UCF loss. And I think uh, a bowl, especially looking at their schedule, would be a huge success. So, uh, Stuart, do you think Maryland has a shot against against the Wildcats? Do you think that hangover is going to kind of carry over from the Penn State game? I mean, I think it's the other way around. Does Northwestern have a shot at Maryland? I know. <laughs> They've had uh, they've had their their you know awful luck uh, with the quarterback injuries, but uh, that they keep you know they they've definitely exceeded my expectations this season. So that seems like a tough one for for Northwestern to win going on the road there. Yeah, both teams got whooped last week, so we'll have to see how they respond. It's really contrasting styles. I mean, Maryland plays fast and they got a lot of speed, and Northwestern kind of you know slows it down and tries to tries to play ground and pound, and they, they don't really have the uh, personnel, like we mentioned, on the offensive line to do so. Uh, how about on a national scale, Stuart? What are you looking forward to in Week 7? Can I just point out real quick that that didn't used to be the case when it was the days of uh, uh, C.J. Bachet and Mike Kafka and uh, Dan Persa. <laughs> Dan they, Persa, they yeah. They pushed the tempo and tried to move the ball on you. Um, from a national perspective, you know, it's the Red River rivalry this week. It's Oklahoma, Texas, and 
you know, it's not necessarily as huge a game as the when it was, you know, Vince Young against Adrian Peterson by any means. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma's under pressure now to, to rebound from that uh, really embarrassing loss last week and, and win this game and keep their, their playoff hopes on track. Um, but Texas has looked better, certainly, than they did the first week against Maryland. I think, you know, Sam Ellinger, the freshman, has definitely emerged as their quarterback. He led a great um, overtime win last week against Kansas State where he played really well. So, you know, that's always a game that's very interesting. Um, Auburn going on the road and facing LSU. Auburn has gotten considerably better since the beginning of the season. They've reached the top ten. The SEC this year seems like a three-team league. It's, it's Georgia, Alabama, and Auburn, and then there's a huge gap to the rest of the field. But LSU got a win they needed last week at Florida, and um, this has been a game over the years, this this rivalry, Auburn-LSU, full of um, really dramatic finishes and some great upsets. So, um, you know, I'll be keeping an eye on that as well. And then Utah-USC lost a little bit of luster when Utah lost at home to Stanford last week. That's basically the Pac-12 South Championship. Those are the two, really, the only realistic two that could win that division. So I know it's weird to say that so early in the season, but I do think uh, that that's what's at stake there. Yeah, a lot of intrigue for sure. Um, and bringing it back to the Big Ten for a second, Stuart, if, if Nebraska loses to Ohio State, they drop to 3-4, and four, and, and it looks like that'll most likely be the case, uh, do you think the mood can get any more restless in Lincoln with that fan base, or have we just kind of been at that point since the Northern Illinois loss and the uh, subsequent AD firing? You know, I... I, I... Uh, certainly an upset of Ohio State would do this, but, I mean, in general, they need something to – Mike Riley needs to pull off something there that would that would quiet people because, yeah, I mean, the restlessness is is off the charts, and I think ever since, obviously, you know, I mean, the game changer was firing the AD. Once they fired the AD, that just kind of made it feel almost inevitable that, oh, they're going to bring in a new AD and they're going to make a coaching change at the end of the season. By the way, with Oregon State opening up yesterday – um, more than a few tweets and, and suggestions that maybe he might want to uh, head back for a third stint in Corvallis, guys. I don't, I don't think that's good. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? I think it would work out well. Yeah, I mean, you talk about yeah, 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 you, you want to talk about a coach fit in school? Is there any benefit to Mike Riley in Corvallis, Oregon, and Oregon State? Oh, I mean, it was it was it was the perfect marriage, and and obviously yeah. his hometown and. He went yep. back. He was there. I think a combined fourteen seasons. He had a lot of success there at a place that's very hard to win. I, you know, it was baffling at the time that he left for Nebraska when he did. Not that he would. I mean, it's not baffling that you would want to take the Nebraska out. So it's a very appealing job. But you know, this was a kind of at the twilight of his career, not not peak career. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know, frankly, how. I mean, I think they would welcome him back because he's their native son. But you know, he. He didn't go out of there on, on, on top by any means. Five and seven his last year, three and nine a couple of years before that. So uh, it seemed to me I watched the press conference yesterday that their athletic director, who's got to be the most thankful person on earth today that his that his coach voluntarily surrendered his twelve million dollars they owed him, um, is, is going to look to make a big splash with that hire. I mean, if there's any hey, lesson, hey, 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 yeah, real quick, not not turning to an Oregon State podcast, but Stewart. Well, why do you think Gary Anderson is walking away from twelve million dollars? I have no idea. I, I, you know, you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yesterday, oh, there must be some sort of scandal involved here. But all indications are 
that's not the case. Everybody there is very adamant. This was a good, you know, he, you remember he, he was unhappy at Wisconsin with some of the things that yeah. were going on. It seemed like the exact same thing happened here. He wasn't happy with some of the um, behind-the-scenes issues, the staff. He really, this is a strange thing I heard yesterday, he just really didn't like his staff. And it's like, well, you're the one who put it together. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really bizarre. He's a unique guy. Uh, not the first unusual career move he's made, but, yeah, we're not talking about a little bit of money. I mean, that's an insane amount of money to just walk away from. It's like, Pat McAfee walking away from being the punter of the, the Colts with that much money on the table. And if there's one thing to be learned from all this, it's that you should never leave Wisconsin, ever, if you're a head coach, because it's all, it's all downhill from there. That's so, <laughs> not going well for the last year to leave Wisconsin, that's for sure. Exactly. Um, all right, Stu, before we let you go, uh, every week we close with, uh, it's called our big moment of the past weekend, and it's just something cool or unique that we saw in college football, and every weekend seems to provide something to talk about. So... I'll start off and um, go with Iowa's Brandon Snyder uh, against Illinois. It was his first game back since he tore his ACL just six months ago in April, and he uh, picked off a Jeff George Jr. pass and took it to the house, I think like 85, 90 yards. And uh, that was just a cool thing to see, even though it was against my alma mater. It's cool to see a guy get back out there first game. Such a quick recovery, kind of Kyle Schwarber-like in the uh, six-month window there and take it to the house. So that's my big moment of the weekend. Tom, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, did you see anything cool or uh, unique this past weekend in college? Gonna, yeah, I hope you guys are sitting down here. I'm going to I'm gonna go with the Mac. How about a little Western Michigan Buffalo? How about seven overtimes? You know, how about 71 to 68? And if you guys probably saw the highlight a million times, where the guy, the Western Michigan player's sister, came out of the stands after he scored a touchdown, <laughs> hugged him. Game wasn't over. She got booted out of the game, so that was sort of a fun moment. But then one of the craziest college football games we've seen in the last decade. Yeah, that was Maxion at its finest there. And then, like you said, the sister running <laughs> on the field was uh, social media gold. Um, How do you go for a field goal, top of the seventh? Come on. You're not going to make it on a field goal. Stuart, how about Crazy you? Game. We uh, we took a couple of good ones, but do you have anything else that uh, you'd like to bring to our attention from the past weekend? Yeah, guys, uh, know this name, uh, Khalil Tate, the quarterback at Arizona. Uh, he was not their starter. He had he had started one game last year as a true freshman, but they were going with another guy, Brandon Dawkins. He gets hurt on the first series of the game. Khalil Tate comes in and ends up running for 327 yards, breaking Jordan Lynch's record for the most rushing yards by a quarterback in a game. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminded me of, um, well, a couple times this has happened with Rich Rodriguez quarterbacks, but for Big Ten fans, it may remind them of the, the revelation that Bernard Robinson was. You know, second start goes for 500 yards against Notre Dame. Like, just came completely out of nowhere. No one there, and they knew he was a good runner, but nobody there would have ever imagined he could do something like that against Colorado. So, uh, needless to say, Arizona has a new quarterback. Yeah, my God. I, I saw that number, and I thought it was a typo. That's crazy um, for a quarterback to be scampering around, scampering around like that. Um, and by the way, he did it on 14 carries. Wow, what's that come out to? I mean, over 10 yards to carry. You would do that, that equation in their head? That's uh, It's like 23 yards to carry. Oh, that's all? <laughs> Only 23 yards to carry? Okay. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um. Stu, before I let you go, since you went to Northwestern, i got to ask, are you a Cubs fan? No, I, I uh, grew up in Cincinnati. Um, 
as a Reds and a Bengals fan, I, I can't say that I really follow them anymore. But I enjoyed going to games at Wrigley in college. That's a, a great thing to do when you're a student at Northwestern. But, um, and, and I will say I definitely was rooting for them in the World Series last year, as was every other bandwagon person. But you know, I can't say that I'm like edge of my seat during this year's playoffs. All right. I was, I was hoping you maybe were, and then uh, we could bond in our anxiety about today's game. But that's okay. That's okay. We, you uh, gave us a lot of good stuff. This morning, and uh, it was great to have you on. Really appreciate your time, obviously, taking away from a uh, busy schedule with the Athletics. So we'll continue to follow your work there. Thanks so much for ha- having me, guys. It was really fun. Absolutely. Hey, thank- yeah, thanks a lot, Stuart. I always appreciate your time. always enjoyed seeing you. Take care. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks again to Stuart for joining us, and obviously we wish him luck with his endeavor at the Athletic and rooting for it to succeed because there is a demand for sports writing still even even though um you know the video trends would suggest otherwise and, and it would really suck to see sports writing go away and i don't believe it will but um endeavors like what Stewart's doing with the athletic are are essential for good sports writing to to carry on so rooting for Stewart and everything that's going on at the athletic and all-american And we'll move on now to our StatHead segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. But before we do that, I just want to give you one last reminder to use the coupon code TAKE10 for the TAKE10 podcast at the BTN store. That's on btn.com. Click that shop or store tab to find all the freshest apparel for your favorite team and take 10% off your order with that coupon code TAKE10. But before you do that, give me five more minutes to stay tuned for our StatHead segment with Harold which begins right now. All right, I'm sitting here once again with our resident numbers guru uh, for the StatHead segment. It's BTN researcher Harold Shelton, and Harold's got a big smile on his face today, and I think I know why. It's because his his Spartans took down the in-state rival, Michigan Wolverines. Harold, aside from that, how are you doing today? Doing great. You know, it's... uh Always good to talk Big Ten football, especially after a big win like that. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously you're rooting for your Spartans, but uh, numbers have no bias, you know, nope. so you can be objective about about uh, the outcome of that game and, and uh, look through an objective lens. How did the Spartans pull that off in a game that was on the road, obviously a sloppy game uh, with the weather and the downpour there? But how did they pull it off in a game when that certainly not many people expected them to win? Uh, so I thought going into the game that both defensive lines uh, were better than the other offensive lines. Uh, I think what has gone unnoticed is that Michigan State's defense is really, really good. And most people focused on Michigan's, and Michigan's defense is great, not taking anything away from them. But Michigan State's defense made more plays than Michigan's. Four sacks, six tackles for loss, the five turnovers. Uh, and the fact that they didn't turn the ball over for the second straight week, you know, they were minus six in turnover margin the first three games. They're plus seven the last two games. So you see why that they had the win against Iowa and the win against Michigan. Obviously very high on them. Um, how, do, how does their defense stack up in terms of uh, some other elite defenses in the Big Ten? Uh, they still have room to grow. I mean, in that game they started uh, ten guys who will be back next year. Uh, Chris Fry is really the only senior, so they're still kind of learning on the fly. Um, I would say, you know, Michigan's defense is probably still better. Uh, 
Ohio State's front seven, I think, is better. Penn State's been really, really good. Obviously, Wisconsin's 3-4 is really good. Uh, I mean, the Big Ten is, has a lot of really good defenses, but the way Michigan State's been playing right now, I mean, they're right up there. I mean, they're fourth in the country right now in total defense. So the fact that they're able to do all this after losing their best player from a year before is really impressive. All right, sticking on defense, um, one guy that, you know, everyone's familiar with his name by now, it's the Hawkeyes linebacker, Josie Jewell. And, you know, everyone expected him to have a big year, but I didn't realize how big of a year he was having until I saw this this number. He has uh, He's first in the Big Ten with 70 tackles, and the next closest tackler, I believe that there's two tied for four, with 44. So, you know, first of all, does he have this tackling title wrapped up already, and, and can you remember the last time you saw such a discrepancy between the top linebacker in the Big Ten, top tackler, and uh, a gap between top spot and number two? Yeah, it's crazy to see such a big gap, and we're only halfway through the year. Uh, he's led. I mean, he's been second in the Big Ten in tackles each of the last two years. You know, he's had. I think he had like 124 last year. Looks like he's on his way to shattering that. Um, I mean, he's just a really, really good player. He's been a tackle machine. You know, uh, I think he had 15 against Michigan State. He had the monster game against Penn State. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can do it all. He, he covered in space. Um, he's trying to run away with Defensive Player of the Year in the league right now. All right, so we'll keep an eye on Josie Jewell. I don't, I don't think anyone has to worry about him sacrificing that title because it, it looks like, it, like you said, he has it pretty well in hand. Um, before we look ahead to next week, I want to ask, and I guess this can kind of be uh, analyzed in conjunction with, with next week's matchups, um, Ohio State, they've been putting up some ridiculous numbers, not against the greatest competition, but you can't ignore what they're doing uh, on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So because it's against lesser competition, do you think they're kind of flying under the radar a little bit with what they've uh, accomplished since that loss against Oklahoma? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, when they lost to Oklahoma and JT Berry looked as bad as he did, you know, people just kind of wrote them off. Um, I think it was more of a, I oh, will wait and see what happens when they play Penn State, and I think that's still the case. But they have just destroyed teams. And it's similar to what happened three years ago when they lost to Virginia Tech, they dropped in the poll, and no one really thought about them again until they played a good team. They went at Michigan State that year, and then people were like, oh, wow, like this offense is really explosive. I mean, they've scored 50 in three straight games. They're only the sixth team to ever do that. You know, if they reach that mark again this week, they'll be the third team to ever score 50 in four straight in our league. So the w- the fact that they're doing what they're doing, I mean, Barrett's what, 13 touchdowns, one pick the last four games. I mean, they are just destroying people. And I think people need to kind of, you know, pay a little bit more attention before they play Penn State. Yeah, it's kind of the blueprint everyone's referring to is a few years ago, that Virginia Tech loss, and then, uh, you know, just kind of went about their business. And then at the end of the year, they were right there, and they, they took advantage of it. Um, I mean, even with all that talent they've had the last couple of years, they weren't doing this. Right, right. So, you know, definitely not a team to be sleeping on and um, looking forward to those tough games at the end of the year, you know, with uh, Michigan and Penn State. All right, before we let you go, H, um, so let me know, go inside the numbers, uh, what you're going to be looking for as we, you know, get past the halfway point now in the regular season and uh, look ahead to, to week seven. Yeah, I'm looking at both Michigan schools and see how they respond after, you know, a physical, emotional game. Uh, You know, Michigan have questions up front. You know, they play on the road at Indiana. 
Indiana's played them really tough the last couple times they've been in Bloomington. You know, they needed triple uh, OT to beat them two years ago. I mean, Michigan has beaten them 21 straight, but it's been an issue lately. You know, they've had some crazy games, so I want to see how they respond. And then Michigan State, now everybody's talking about how great you are. You're back in the rankings. Your defense is back. Young team, you're on the road playing a Minnesota team that's desperate for a win. You know, if we'll see how good the leadership is. You know, that was a big question coming into the year. You know, leadership should help you get through games like this to make sure that you're focused and ready to play. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and real quick, I know earlier on this episode, Tom Deanhart was saying that he thinks Indiana might give Michigan a game. Just looking at the – I know it's only been one game, but looking at the quarterback change they made from – uh, going from Richard Legow to uh, Peyton Ramsey, do you think? I know, and I know it's hard to tell because they only played Charleston Southern. But do you think uh, the numbers will bear it out that that was the right decision? Uh, I certainly think it helps them in the run game. Um, you know, in the past they've had your, your Tevin Coleman's and your Jordan Howards and Divine Reddings to a certain extent, where they can hand the ball off and be productive running and passing. And this year they don't have that. So now that you put Ramsey back there, he's a threat to run it. And with your offensive line dealing with that Michigan defensive line, you're going to need a guy who can make plays when things break down. And that's how Michigan State was able to beat Michigan because they had a mobile quarterback who was able to make plays with his feet when that defensive line started coming. So I think Ramsey gives them the best chance to win going forward and for it'll be great for him next year to have that full year of experience. All right, for sure. Uh, as always, a lot of fun, Harold, and um, you know, we'll hopefully get back to you next week. If not, uh, with, with Basketball Media Day getting in the way, we'll uh, link up in two weeks at max for sure and uh, good. keep this segment going. Sounds good to me. Always looking forward to it. Thanks again to Harold, Tom, and Stuart for joining me. I mean, I love getting this insight and perspective from the finest minds covering the sport every week on these football focus episodes, and I hope you're enjoying them as well. And next week, Tom and I will be in New York for Big Ten Basketball Media Days out of Madison Square Garden, so we're thinking of doing a hoops focus episode next week instead of football. And uh, just stay tuned for what that might bring and uh, who we might be able to bring in. Looking forward to that. And. I'm also reaching out to you guys for help. We're going we're gonna to need a name. Like, for example, this is the Football Focus Edition, which is not the flashiest name or, you know, it's not the most creative name for a, a special edition episode, but it gets the job done. So if anyone can think of a catchy basketball name for a weekly hoops edition of this show, tweet them at me and I'll, uh, I'll keep thinking about what we might be able to call what we hope to have as a, a similar version of the Football Focus that we've been doing every week. Um moving on as we as we get into college basketball season which is right around the corner so until then thanks to everyone for listening thanks as always to west white for producing and we'll talk to you next time on the take 10 podcast